and uh, so in Matthew's gospel, we see uh, the powers of the world uh, really affected by the birth of Jesus. Uh, but then when we look at other gospels, we don't see uh, magi coming to worship Jesus at the manger. We see shepherds. And the life of Jesus, as we see in the Gospels, has different perspectives and and not different stories per se, but from a different perspective and a different vantage point. So we started with Matthew and Joseph and Joseph protecting the child. Then we moved into John's Gospel where we looked at John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus has, has grown up. He's come on the scene. And now all the preparation that John has done, it's now time to point his disciples to the Messiah, which he does. And we talked a little bit about Andrew, how Andrew uh, was one who was known to bring people to Jesus, much like he brought his brother Peter. And, and as we look through the Gospels, we see Andrew doing that regularly, bringing people to Jesus. So now when we come to this text, a few weeks later, we see Jesus getting ready to teach what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It takes well over 100 verses in Matthew's Gospel. When we look at it in Luke's Gospel, I believe it's around 45 to 50 verses. Uh, But in Matthew's Gospel, it's well over 100. And and we can safely assume that Jesus probably didn't sit down on the mountaintop that day or stand on the mountaintop that day and cover this entire sermon in one teaching. It's more of an entire summary of Jesus' teaching uh, that the writers went back to to talk about and refer to. But we're just going to be looking at the first 14 verses, which are referred to as, as the Beatitudes. For the reading of the Gospel this morning, will you please stand in respect and reverence to the Word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men and women, that they may may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. We have worshipped you through song, through prayer from hearing of your word, and now by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, as Edie has already prayed, uh, may your words be my words, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated. Really, the Beatitudes, if I was a pastor, I'd probably take a few weeks to go through it, to unpack it. It's such a beautiful text, and I hope that um, as we just take a, a beginning look at it, uh, that you will go back and study it later. As, and I'm sure that's what you always do after chapel, all of you. I'm sure you just say, wow, that was a great text in chapel. I'm going to just go back to my dorm room and study that for a couple hours. I'm sure that happens. Our guests, that's the way our student body rolls, in case you were wondering. So uh, they, uh, they will be doing that. But it really does require quite a bit more time. So please know we're just, we're just beginning uh, to, to look at this, and it deserves several weeks to cover it. Now, we need to make sure that I want to be clear at the out front that this, these uh, Beatitudes are not a works righteousness. 
This is not something you have to work towards or earn to really receive these blessings of God. It's not something that you have to work towards and achieve uh, to earn this goodness of God, to earn the mercy of God, to earn, uh, to become a person of peace, to become a person of righteousness. This is not a works righteousness text. This is about what it looks like for those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, who have taken on the name of Christ by becoming a Christian, taking on the name of Christ. This is how they are to live. And it's not something we do within our own power. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live in a way as if we are citizens of the kingdom of God because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. What I mean by that is citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has come in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is already here. It is, it is broken in. N.T. Wright says it, says it well. The age to come has already broken into the present age in Jesus the Messiah. The age to come, the kingdom of heaven has broken in in Jesus Messiah. And we now can see signs of the kingdom even now. We see signs of the kingdom of heaven, certainly through the resurrection of Christ. But now as you, as a person who's taken on the name of Christ, as you live and serve and care for others, you are advancing God's kingdom. You are a witness to the kingdom and the people can see the kingdom through your life. And there is a challenging question that that sometimes we're asked, and I think we quickly respond yes. And that question is, are you willing to die for Christ? Are you willing to be a martyr for Christ? You know, I think there's a far more challenging question. I've actually just come to this realization uh, recently in the last few days. I think a more challenging question than are you willing to die for Christ is the question, are you willing to live for Christ? Are you willing to live for Christ? I'm coming to the understanding that I think that's a more challenging question. Because if we were to die for Christ, at least we'd then go to the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. We would be with Christ for all eternity. And that is a wonderful and glorious thing. But to live for Christ now, where the kingdom has not yet come to completion, that is, that is difficult work. That is draining and that is exhausting. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a dying that needs to take place. We must die to ourselves. We must die to our own desires. We must die to our own agendas. And we must make sure that Christ is first in our life so that he can use our life to advance his kingdom. So my question for you today, are you willing to live for Christ? And really, that's much of what the Beatitudes are are pointing us to. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. And when Jesus is talking about poor in spirit and he's teaching the disciples, and most believe it's probably just not Jesus' inner disciples that were on the mountaintop today. He's, he's teaching to all the crowds that were there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that were coming out to see him. These were people that were not powerful. These were people that were not wealthy. These were people that were not born into the right family. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is yours. It is for the wealthy, it is for the poor as well, but on on this day as he was teaching the poor in spirit, he was recognizing that they think they have nothing to offer. They have nothing to to buy their way into God's goodness. There is nothing that they can do because they are not powerful people. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And when we look at the the mourning that Jesus is talking about, we can see it in a few ways. And one is the mourning of our own sin. We look at our own lives and we mourn and we grieve over the sin or the pain that we may have caused not only ourselves and our own family, but the sin and pain that we have caused others. And I wish I could tell you that, that this mourning... I wish I could tell you I don't feel anything anymore. I, I feel it's okay for maybe the pain that I've caused people in the past. 
I wish I could tell you that there was a time in my life, and many of you know that I wasn't with Christ, and the way that I lived at that time really did cause pain to others and hurt others and harmed others. And I wish I could tell you that that doesn't affect me anymore, but it does. I'm still troubled by it. It's not an overwhelming guilt, but it is this grace that is bestowed into it where it makes me want to live in a way that glorifies Christ and never live in a way again or never cause another person a moment of pain because of my selfish living. And Jesus says, Blessed are you who mourn, for, for you will be comforted. And I give testimony to the comfort of God as well. Blessed are you who mourn for the brokenness and the pain that you see in others. Blessed are the brokenness you see in your home or in your family, in your community. You see that and you grieve and you, and you almost even move to tears at times. You are so overwhelmed. And Jesus says, blessed are you, mourn, for you will be comforted. So let us not live in a way that contributes to the brokenness. Let us not live in a way that contributes to the pain. Uh, let's live in a way as if we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Let us die to ourselves and, and allow God to advance his kingdom through us. And knowing in those days of mourning, that heartbreak and that, that sorrow that you feel, know that, that you will be comforted. It happened again. And I've uh, wrestled back and forth whether to share this, but uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and share it because I don't, I don't want to come across as the legalistic uh, chaplain uh, on when I mention certain social issues. Uh, but I met with someone who's a, a recovering alcoholic. And uh, they entered into a Christian community because they thought that this would be the best place for me as I battle this evil that has a hold on my life. And as I was talking with this individual, they expressed and shared how the greatest challenges come not from friends of the past or circles or situations, that are making this evil still come back into their life. It's, it's other Christians. For they do not know this person's struggle and did not ask if they have a struggle, obviously, but spend quite a bit of time drinking alcohol and it is a great battle for this individual. I use that example to say this. And I use my own personal example of mourning, of of causing pain to others. Let's not live in a way that's causing brokenness and pain to others. That could harm someone. You don't know what battle someone may be facing. You don't know what struggle they may be going through. So blessed are you who mourn, who grieve over the pain that others are going through, who grieve over the brokenness you see in communities and neighborhoods. And recently I've, I've written an article for our denominational magazine, and it's going to be a beautiful article that just offends everybody. And I'm not a big fan of that. It's called, uh, I don't know what they're going to officially title, Alcohol and Justice or something like that. But I say because of regions of social justice, we are a church that abstains from alcohol. Because it is the most predatory, legalized industry in the world. And why would we support an industry that preys upon those who are suffering? Why would we support an industry that preys upon the poor? So it's going to upset people because I use the term social justice, and then it's going to upset the hipster Christians, and it's going to just, and I'm going to have to just uh, be, be uh, an outcast. Your chaplain's going to be an outcast. So I'd appreciate if you'd still be my friend when that uh, comes out. <laughs> Blessed are the mourned, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. 
And this is not talking about being absent from the situation. This is not talking about being voiceless. This is not saying you never have to raise your voice. You need to step away from situations. This is talking about a humble and gentle Christ-like living. Maybe you remember from Matthew eleven twenty nine when Jesus says, Learn from me, for I am meek. Some translations say gentle. Learn from me, I am meek and lowly in heart. The meek will inherit the earth. And it talks about inheriting the earth that Christ will come to reign in its fullness. That Christ will have full reign over this world, over the heavens and in the earth. That time will come. Blessed are the merciful. We know Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Micah 6, 8, the Lord requires you to act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. To be people of mercy, to be people of forgiveness. So are you willing to live for Christ in these situations? Are you willing to recognize by the power of your Holy Spirit that you too are poor in spirit and that only God in your life can redeem, revive, and renew and then use your life to advance His kingdom? Do you grieve and mourn over the, maybe the sin that you have caused others in the past, but more, more importantly, do you grieve over you when you see the sin and the brokenness in your community or in your home or in your family? Are you willing to be that type of person that really grieves and longs and cares for others in their brokenness? Are you willing to be meek, not seeking power or control, again, not being absent, not being voiceless necessarily, but not seeking power and control and prestige, but being meek and lowly in heart like Jesus lived? Are you willing to live for Christ? Are you really going to be a person that will act justly, that will love mercy, and that will walk humbly with your God? I don't know if any of us, I hope none of us have to come to the point where we actually have to physically die for Christ. But I know every single day of our lives, He is calling us to live for Christ. So the challenging question, are you willing to live for Christ and die, for yourself, die to yourself? The power of forgiveness is something that only God can give us, I have learned. Recently I read a book, it was called The Sunflower by... Um, I believe it was Simon Wiesenthal. I think I have the correct name. And Simon Wiesenthal tells the story of when he was in a concentration camp. And one day while working at a, at a hospital area, a nurse came and, and got him. And not, he, she was just looking for any Jew that she could kind of sneak into the hospital. And she took him up to a floor where, where the Jews were not supposed to be. And uh, just because they were working that day, but he, she brought him into a wing where there was just one man in a bed. And and, and this German soldier tells this horrific story of how he persecuted and killed Jews and children and burned a home. And just a horrific, horrific story. And then this man asks Simon Wiesenthal if, if, if he would forgive him. If he would forgive him for that. I can tell you what happens, but then that you won't read the book. So now you've got to go read the book. But at the end of the chapter, at the end of that story, they ask religious leaders and world leaders from all different faiths and all different traditions, they ask them, what would you have done in that situation? What would you have done in that situation? Would you have, at, would you have given forgiveness on behalf of your people? Would you have given forgiveness on behalf of the Jewish people? Would you feel you had a right to do that? And, and, and so the second half of the book is just reading these responses uh, from so many different world leaders. And no one, as I was reading that, no one can even imagine being in that type of situation to even know how you would reply. 
The only thing I know is that it's only through the power of God that we are able to forgive. There's nothing within our own strength or in our own power that can forgive an atrocity to that degree. And there are only, it's only the power of God that can help us forgive pain that we have experienced in our homes and in our churches. Are you willing, allow, are you willing to allow God to work through you to forgive others in the same way that Christ forgave you? In the same way that Christ gave his life for you? See, I'm not asking you to physically die for Christ. I'm asking you to live for Christ by dying to yourself. And allowing the power of God to work in you so you can be a person of forgiveness. And I understand that sometimes forgiveness is a journey. I say that all the time and and it's often not just one moment. Often it's, it's weeks or months or sometimes years and you need people to journey along with you to help forgive. You need pastors and friends and church members and counselors at times. I understand all that, but are you willing to go on that journey of forgiveness? I assure you the power of God can work in your life. Blessed are the merciful for they too will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. I like the way one writer defined pure in heart. Single-minded devotion to God. Single-minded devotion to God. Pure in heart. Are you pure in heart? Are you single-minded devotion to God? Or is a relationship God in the way? I know that uh, some... uh, You know, this was uh, the the crush video that we we saw. This very... uh, Well, disturbing, actually. uh, Video that we just uh, witnessed... Uh, we need to pray for Joel, obviously, because he has, uh, he has some, some issues and um, we need to be merciful towards him. But uh, have you allowed a, someone you're dating to become more important to you than God? Blessed are the pure in heart. Single-minded devotion to God. God is first. God is first. See, I'm calling you to live for Christ and And if you're going to be one who lives for Christ, to take on the name of Christ so that the kingdom of heaven can be advanced through you, you must have single-minded devotion to God and not allow another person to come before God. Here's Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The person who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up their soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Often other people become idols. We, we allow an, another relationship to become more important than our relationship with God. I'm calling you to live for Christ. I'm calling you to put God first in your relationships. To put God first in your desires and plans and whatever your goals may be. That's what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in this text. And that's what I'm trying to remind you of today. To live for Christ. Be pure in heart, single-minded devotion to God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are ones who, who reconcile others to God and each other. You are used by God to reconcile others to God and each other. People of reconciliation. You work for shalom. You work for peace. You work for wholeness. Your life is used by God so that people can be reconciled through what you're doing, whether that's family members or, or friends. But, but more importantly, that reconciliation first begins with you and God and a person and God. That's where the kingdom of heaven advances first in the heart of an individual. So will you be a, a peacemaker? Will you, like Andrew, introduce others to Jesus? so that they can be reconciled to God. See, I'm calling you to live for Christ. 
And that's what Jesus is calling us here in these Beatitudes. Be a peacemaker so others might come to have a wonderful relationship and be at peace with God. Introduce others to Jesus. And here's what I want to challenge you with in a prayer. I want you to pray for that desire. I want you to pray that you have the desire for your friends that don't know Christ. I want you to pray, Lord, give me the desire that I want them to come to know Christ. I want them to be at peace with God. I want them to have this relationship with God. Will you pray for that desire? It's a dangerous prayer, I need to assure you. Because God will answer. And then God will call you to be that person that that helps reconcile them to God. Pray for the desire that your loved ones, your friends, will come to a relationship with Christ. Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. And then the writer comes back again to say, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because you are made fun of that you follow this God. Or you look down upon because... There are things in your life that you abstain from because it's not holy. Blessed are you when you live a life to glorify Christ in everything that you do and, and people don't understand and mock you and ridicule you. Many commentary writers believe that what they were writing in this passage, in this verse, was that they were actually speaking of specifically of people of the church, of the Christian community that persecute you. Blessed are you for, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted, who falsely say all kinds of things about you. Your reward for all of these things, being poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, the merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted because of righteousness. Your reward Your full reward is in heaven. Your full reward is in heaven. And that doesn't mean, I don't know if you've ever heard that saying. I heard it since I was a child. Well, I'm just going to go and help this person get another jewel in my crown in heaven. I'm just going to, this way I might move up a place in heaven. So, you know, when, uh, when Alex gets there, I'll be above Alex. Because Alex did not shovel my driveway like he should have this week. But because I helped my senior adult neighbor, I'm going to be in a higher place than Alex. And I hope that illustration stays with him as the snowstorm is rolling in Sunday night. (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) Obviously, I'm kidding. But a lot of us live that way. That's not what this is teaching us. It's not, Jesus is not teaching us how you can get a higher place in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest reward from all is that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Have you noticed, and maybe many of you remember it, it may have been your freshman year, those who were seniors, and maybe he came the year before, there was a a gentleman that that preached here on this text. Uh, His name was Matt Woodley, and he he offered an insight that really uh, stood out to me. He talked about the ascending and descending movement of these Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We receive the blessing of being citizens of the kingdom of heaven now. We receive it now. To those who have taken on the name of Christ, you you can testify to some of what I said today. Maybe you're still learning. Maybe you're still being challenged by some of it. But I would think that for some of you, there's been some testimony that many of you could give that, yes, I've gone through a season of mourning and I can testify that God has comforted me. Yes, I have grieved over some things in my home or in my family, but I can testify that God has comforted me. Yes, I can testify to the fact that by the power of God, I was able to be merciful. I was able to forgive someone that I never thought I'd be able to forgive. But God gave me the power to extend mercy. Some of you can give testimony to these, these beautiful beatitudes that God does give us the strength now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now. It will come to its fullness It will come to its full fruition when we are with Christ for all of eternity. But it begins now. So to those of you who I'm talking to this morning, and if if you're still awake, and if you have not yet taken on the name of Christ, you have not yet committed your life to Christ, to serve and follow Him, you have not allowed God to use your life to the fullest to advance His kingdom, Blessed are you. Blessed are you, poor in spirit. For yours too can be the kingdom of heaven. The grace is for you. The mercy is for you. Will you accept it? Will you receive it? You too can be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And to those of you who have taken on the name of Christ, I challenge you that and live for Christ. Dying to self. Living as Christ. I read the additional two verses past verse 12 where you would normally conclude because I appreciate verses 13 and 14 reminding us that we are salt and light in this world. You are salt and light on this campus. As I was writing this down, I was watching people put salt down on the sidewalks and I was like, well, it's not that type of salt that we often think of. Uh, We think of salt as something to preserve. uh, preserves and 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 we often think of it in that way but then i started thinking about it well maybe that's the salt that they're throwing out on the ice maybe that's not a bad way to use an illustration that being salt in the storms of life when the ice hardens over whether a person's heart or a family's home that your presence there just your presence begins to break that down begins to melt that away Sometimes it takes time, but your presence alone can bring healing to brokenness and pain and, and hard and cold and hard. So maybe it's not. Maybe it connects more than I thought. Your salt of the earth and light of the world. How many of you did your Facebook movie this week? How many did the Facebook movie? A couple of you Facebook your life captured in like 35 seconds, thanks to Mark Zuckerberg. Happy birthday, Facebook. 10 years. Where has the time gone? Sorry. Um, (laughs) But in the Facebook movie, it talks about your most popular post. Your most popular post. You know where the I guess guess they do it by the most likes or something. um, 
Mine, I was surprised by as it came across the screen. As it came across the screen, it said, "The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." And I and I wrote it in December 2012. I'm like, why did I write that in December 2012? There was some tragedy I remember, but I couldn't think what it was. There was something that happened that the only thing that I could think of was that even in this evil, even in this darkness, a light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. And then my wife reminded me it was the Newtown tragedy. It was the school shooting. And I don't know, I don't post every day or every 35 seconds like some of you do. But I appreciated that that was the one that was most liked because there is, it was a testimony to the fact that even in the darkest of days, you are a light of the world. And a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm asking you to live for Christ. You are signs that the kingdom has broken into this world, like N.T. Wright talked about. It's broken in, and now people see it through you, through the way that you live, through the way that you go about your day. People see that the kingdom of God has broken in and that Christ has come. Now, I understand they won't use that type of language. I understand that's not the way everyone will articulate it, but that is what is happening. You are signs of the kingdom of God. So I'm asking you to live for Christ on this campus. Recently, I invited everyone that was ever on a summer men team in the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years to join us for a worship service uh, as we began summer ministry training for the teams this year. And I had over 40 responses. Most people couldn't come and very few did. But I got over 40 responses of people saying, I just know that I'm praying for the teams. Thank you for the invite. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to be a part of it. And after our service together, one alum, who had, she graduated maybe 15 years ago, I, I met her for the first time the other night, she asked, like, well, what's the spiritual life on campus like? And I just need to tell you, I hate that question, because <laughs> I never know how to answer it. And to all our guests, please don't look down on me for saying that. It's a great, wonderful campus. What I mean by that is, I don't know what God's doing in all of your hearts and lives. Every time before we come through that door after praying, every time we pray for this chapel, every single time I say, Lord, for everyone in this sanctuary, wherever they are in, on their journey, may they draw closer to you this day, whatever that may look like. And she started sharing with me her story and other stories. And, and I started to explain that it's so difficult because I can't always know if you're drawing closer to God. I know some of you came here with little spiritual interest at all. And some of you came here from a, a great Christian tradition. And that's wonderful. And, and at times maybe your faith is shaken and, and you've really grown in your faith. Or some of you are going through some challenges. And, and so it's tough to say how to define one whole community. But I did say this. I said, I've come to a better understanding that even those who come here that have little interest in the kingdom of God, that have little interest in in coming to know Christ as their Savior, that have little interest in joining us for chapel on Wednesday and Friday morning, that have little interest in serving and caring for others or in the broken in our community, in our city, that have little interest in those side of things, I have come to the understanding that if I watch them over a few years, I start to see things starting to break down. I start to see walls breaking down. I I start to see them maybe opening up just a little bit more to to Christ and his his peace. And so my prayer for so many of you is, Lord, may the walls just start to come down. May the walls just start to come down. and, And maybe I won't ever see the moment that you accept Christ as Lord and Savior in your life. But I believe with all my heart Christ is working on you that you will come to that point. 
And that if we can be a community, those who have decided to live for Christ, if we can be a community that truly lives for Christ, we can begin to be the salt and light in this community that helps break down those walls for those that are in this sanctuary that we love very much that have not yet decided to follow Christ. So will you live for Christ? And die to yourself. That is what Christ is calling his disciples to do on the mountainside that day. That is what Christ is calling us to today. Will you live in such a way? You have greater influence on your friends than the chaplain does. I shared this with someone yesterday. He's praying for his friends. Like, you know, and it was such a good struggle to hear him wrestle through and hear him talk about it. He's like, you know, I don't want to come across as judgmental. I, I really care for my friends. I love them. So I, I always don't know what to say, but... But, 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 but I love Christ and I know they need Christ. And, it was so, that is, and I was like, you are in such a good place. I am so happy. That is a beautiful, beautiful place. It's such a beautiful tension to live in. And then I said, never forget. There are so many things that I don't want them to forget, but just one I don't want to forget. You have more influence into their lives than, than I would, than their pastor maybe, if they have a pastor or a professor possibly. Possibly more so than their family. You are the light of Christ in their world. You are the salt of the earth in their world. And there is a trust they have in that friendship that I have not yet earned because I have not had a chance to get to know them like you do. So pray for that desire for your friends to come to know Christ. I'm not calling you to die for Christ physically, to become a martyr for Christ physically like Dr. Daniels talked about with Stephen. I'm calling you to live for Christ and die to yourself. So that we can, and we just barely touch the Beatitudes. But you can begin to see that God wants to advance his kingdom through you. So that others might come to peace with God. So I challenge you to live for Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing and privilege it is to gather in your name to worship you. What a high and holy honor it is to open your word. And uh, to to ask you to just reveal your word to us, these very challenging texts, but yet also very clear, calling us to live and care and love others in the same way you lived and cared and died for us. So may we live as Christ. And as we've done so many times, Lord, we don't do it out of routine or because of It's just become a ritual. We do it because we are grateful for all that you have done in our lives as we sing. Praise God from whom all blessings. Go in peace and live for Christ. You are dismissed.